What is up, Crush Crew? I'm Bernadette Joy, your favorite rich auntie and your host of the Crush Your Money Goals podcast. Since starting in 2018, I've paid off $300,000 of debt, built my first million dollars of net worth, and grew from this podcast to a full financial education company that just crossed its first half million dollars in revenue. And along the way, I've met some incredible thought leaders and experts in the fields of personal finance, career, and entrepreneurship. And you will have the joy of meeting one of my favorite people as this season's co-host. Hola, hola. I'm Stephanie Gonzalez, the founder of the Women's Wealth Effect, where I focus my time as an investing and career coach to help women like you reach financial independence with confidence. I'm also a debt-free millionaire after paying off over $420,000 in debt and now live in Portugal with my amazing husband and two children after 15 years climbing the corporate ladder in the global tech industry. Thanks to the investing and career knowledge, I am so passionate about sharing with you. Welcome to season six of Crush Your Money Goals, the women's wealth effect. Hola, hola, everyone. It's Stephanie Gonzalez, your guest co-host for the Crush Your Money Goals podcast, season six, The Women's Wealth Effect. Today, we're talking to an amazing woman who has not only accomplished full fire, financial independence, retire early, or let's be honest, relax early, but who also lives a life fiercely aligned to her values, the one and only Tanya Hester. Bernadette, Tanya, and I all had the opportunity to sit together face-to-face at the first FinCon Women in Money Conference, and we discussed a topic that we don't get to talk about enough, how we can navigate money while still staying aligned to our values. I hope you enjoyed this discussion as much as I did. Let's get into it. Tanya, thank you for joining us today. I'm really, really excited to not only have the opportunity to speak with you, but to meet you face-to-face. I don't get the opportunity to come to the United States and actually speak with amazing women on these topics very often. And so to be here at the first FinCon Women in Money Conference and actually get to see you and spend time with you and hear your talk yesterday about your values, having values. This was just a perfect place, right time to actually do this discussion. But we were really excited about being able to bring the conversation to this season, the Women's Wealth Effect season, specifically around how you have been able to navigate not only your financial independence journey, but reach a real point of philosophical freedom through your book, Wallet Activism. And so we'll ask you some questions. I know that you've written two books now, which is a whole process in itself. And we could probably spend a few episodes talking about that. But can you introduce yourself to the audience and tell us what you've done and why you are really considered the matriarch of the personal finance fire community as a woman? Yeah, and you two are both incredible women, so I'm I'm thrilled to be here with you. I'm Tanya Hester. I wrote the book Work Optional that came out in 2019, and then my most recent book is Wallet Activism. And I was on the early retirement journey in the, the late teens. Mm. My husband, Mark, and I saved up in earnest for about six years to retire early, which we did now. Gosh, it's been... We're coming up on six years. Wow. So it's been a while, and I documented that on my blog, Our Next Life. Mm-hmm. And then along the way, I also used to co-host the podcast, The Fairer Sense, which was about mm. women and money. And back when I worked, my career was doing consulting for democratic political campaigns and progressive issue campaigns, mm-hmm. working for folks like big foundations, working to do different social policies. And so I very much had an inside view at the world of social change and learned what's possible and what's not. And it, that has always been my passion. It's just like, how can we keep making this society of ours better? And how can we 
address some of the global calamities that are upon us. And so it felt so weird, in a sense, to be writing about personal finance in a world where, like, you both know this. I'm sure most people listening know this. It tends to be presented devoid of context, where we tend to talk about this stuff as though, like, it exists in a vacuum and not talk about it in the context of women earn less than men and people of color earn a lot less than white men and things like that, or that, you know, different policy decisions that come through that are political Mm -hmm. have a big impact on your money, that people who own a home are actually the largest receivers of government welfare in the form of the mortgage interest deduction. And we don't ever talk about that stuff that way. And so to me, it was really important to try to bring some of that into the personal finance conversation. And then as time passed, I talked to more and more people, particularly women, but a lot of men too, who said, you know, I'm just not comfortable doing kind of the standard investing line and because I feel like I'm investing in a lot of bad stuff. Sure. What can I do that would feel more aligned to my values? And I felt like there was a real hunger for that. And it, it really aligned with both my personal passion and my work experience of understanding the social change world to say, well, how can we bring these things together? And that's really what I'm interested in. I mean, I've always been interested in, but now I'm sort of like letting that part of myself free mm-hmm. and talking about the ways that we really can make an impact. Because I think a lot of people also feel like, and, and part of this is the messaging that's been conditioned in us is to say, well, your individual actions don't matter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I just could not disagree more strongly. And I want people to feel, I also don't like the word empowered because it sort of suggests I have power and I'm going to grant some to you. Sure. But in any case, it's a word we tend to use, like help people feel more empowered to make decisions and know that those decisions matter. Mm-hmm. 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 So in your book, the, the very first quotation you have is from Viola Davis, right? And it says, if you're dedicated to change, let it cost you something. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to hear your perspective of, we'd love to say that wallet activism and being able to align our values is going to come for free, but Mm -hmm. that's not the reality. So can you share more about that? Yeah. I wanted to frame the book that way because I do think we live in such a convenient society that everything is presented to us as, here's the super easy thing you can do. And some of the things in the book that are the most impactful are super easy to do. Mm -hmm. For example, if you care a lot about climate change, it's very easy to look up and see who the biggest funders of climate change in the world are. And the biggest one is J.P. Morgan Chase, which is a favorite financial institutions of a lot of personal finance creators because they have some really lovely benefits on their credit cards. But if you care about that and you have a bank account with them, like especially a savings account, it's important to know that J.P. Morgan Chase uses the money sitting in your savings account to fund new fossil fuel projects Mm -hmm. that are the main driver of climate change. Mm -hmm. And so... Something that you can do is leave, chase, tell them why you're leaving. The same goes for a lot of the big banks, Bank of America, Citi, you know, et cetera. And you can switch to a credit union or to a Black-owned bank or a community bank or Mm -hmm. a community development credit union. And that is without cost in terms of like the long-term storage of your money. But it does have a cost in terms of like, it's a little bit of a pain. Mm-hmm. If you have direct deposits set up, you have to go through and change all that stuff. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's annoying, but it's sort of one-time pain. But I think it's important to acknowledge that everything that I talk about in the book, which by the way, no one will be able to do everything. I can't do everything sure. in the book. We are all human. I talk very clearly and directly about the fact that perfection is not possible. So mm-hmm. let's take that fully off the table. Mm-hmm. But everything is going to cost something in the form of effort, or in some cases, more money or the loss of some investment gains if you care about certain types of investing. Although with investing, I think the idea that you should only invest in responsible things 
that's not a super helpful conversation because sometimes we have the most power when we actually invest in the bad guy companies Mm -hmm. and then speak up. Mm -hmm. And I think Mm -hmm. shareholders have a much louder voice than non-shareholders with companies. So there are different ways you can take that. But but everything is going to take a little work. And some of that you do one time, like switching banks. And some of it, you just form a new habit. But yeah, I think we shouldn't lie to people. you know. And I think a lot of advice really does lie to people and, and say this is easier than it is. The thing that is, I think has impressed me in my very short period of time of really getting to know about you is you have this very targeted and intentional approach about what you believe in, but a very balanced point of view, right? And for me, coming out of corporate America, like I could have walked out and been like, screw corporate America, women need to be financially independent and get out of this joint, right? But I really believe that more of us need to be career resilient in multiple ways so that we can be in the fight, so that we can make change, so we can be at the table in larger institutions and actually like shift the ship, right? The way that you mentioned this and and what you believe through wallet activism just has so much balance, similar to how I think of corporate America now to an extent. How have you come to that? Because this could be a very like, I believe this and, you know, like your life could be not balanced at all. How does that feel to you? First, thank you for saying that. That's one of the nicest compliments I, I think I've ever gotten. I really appreciate that. To me, I think that comes out of my work experience, you sure. know, spending 16 years in the social change sector and understanding that people who come at things with really a really strong ideology yeah. are rarely effective change makers mm-hmm. because the reality is we have a particular system. You know, We have a very gridlocked two-party political system. We have an incredibly intransigent capitalist system that gives billionaires all the power in a lot of ways and convinces all the rest of us that we don't have power, which isn't true. But that's a different issue. I think I've just seen time and time again that working within the system, for the most part, there there are times when I know we all want to burn it down. (laughs) And (laughs) some of the time that that works, but a lot of the time it doesn't. It's also just like I recognize the reality of people's lives. You know, I Mm -hmm. say in the book, if, if you think I'm going to tell you you can never set foot in Walmart or buy from Amazon again. Like, that's not what we're here <laughs> to do because people live complicated lives. Sure. And and it was very humbling for me during the pandemic. So I have a primary immunodeficiency. I don't make enough antibodies. I was born with this. Until we had the vaccine for COVID, my husband and I could not set foot in any place. So we had to get all of our food, all of everything delivered. And that meant sometimes ordering from Walmart if they were the only ones who could get a delivery to us. It Mm -hmm. meant ordering a lot from Amazon. And it was a good reminder that even with all the massive economic privilege we have, circumstances can happen that force us to make changes we don't like. And we, I did my very best to follow the principles that I talk about in the book of like, I didn't order during prime day. I didn't order Mm -hmm. during the holiday rush when that's when warehouse workers are really getting injured a lot. Yeah. Or right now, a lot of drivers are striking because of the summer heat and having to deliver in that. And Mm -hmm. so like, doing our best not to deliver in those times or to order in those times. But we all have messy lives and no one can make perfect decisions. And so I think recognizing that, and there's also, I think a lot of people who carry progressive views think that we can just snap our fingers and move to a progressive socialist utopia. When the reality is like the big corporations represent a huge percent of jobs. Sure. And I'm not trying to put anyone out of work or let people starve. And you have to think about that whole picture. So I don't know, this for folks who have read any of my work, I probably sometimes spend too much time in the nuance, but I think it's really important. It re- reflects reality. Yeah. And when we cut that stuff out, I think we we lose touch with what people's lives are really like. And so that's just very important to me. Same as 
not lying to people. You know, I don't sugarcoat things. Mm -hmm. And I know that sometimes will sound depressing, but I actually think wallet activism is a really hopeful book because I talk about a lot of change that has happened very quickly Mm -hmm. from shifts in consumer behavior. Like there's been a massive drop in the number of dogs and cats that are euthanized at shelters Mm -hmm. because in basically the span of three years, it became cool to adopt a shelter pet where for years they had been considered damaged goods. And you look at like this massive drop of like 90% of dogs coming in to shelters getting euthanized to 6% mm-hmm. in big cities. And that happened in the blink of an eye. Mm-hmm. And so I really believe that change is possible. We just have to kind of hit that moment. And I think so much is possible, but we've just been told that it isn't. And mm-hmm. that is dead wrong. Mm, that and, you know, instant gratification, right? Like, possible and change sometimes takes three to five years, but it Mm -hmm. takes sticking with it, just like pursuing financial independence, figuring out a career pivot, whatever's worth it, right? It takes some time and some real commitment. Mm -hmm. What I liked about the book is, you know, I looked at each of the individual chapters as kind of swim lanes that each of us can choose and, you know, where our, our biggest strengths are. So for me, like, I do think one of the chapters that I really liked was the power you have at work. Mm-hmm. which I didn't feel in corporate. But interestingly, now that I'm outside of corporate and now I have these companies coming to me after I've built my platform and now they want to hear mm-hmm. what I want to say. Mm-hmm. What I really loved about your delivery of all of this is that, to Stephanie's point, you've been able to stay resilient about these topics for a really long time. And mm-hmm. I'll be honest, some days I'm just like, screw this. Yeah. Like, <laughs> this is so hard to be done. But I think that's inherent in women to an extent. This, we have to do it all. We have to be it all. And if we can't really solve it, then what, why? It's all or why, nothing. There's a very know? much all or nothing mentality. So how have you been able to stay resilient over the years that you've been you know, doing this work? I don't want to pretend like every day I wake up and feel hopeful. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Some days. <laughs> Send us a vial of that whenever you go yeah, home. Yeah, yeah, not at all. Some days I feel, I feel exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, we all live in this world and look around and have days that just crush our hopes and dreams. But I think... Just the way that I'm wired is to sort of look more broadly at problems and to say, are we talking about this too narrowly? Mm -hmm. And I think the idea of looking at different ways that we can each make a difference and the different parts of our lives in which we have financial power. Because when I describe this book to most people, people assume that it is a book about shopping, about Mm. who can you shop with? What can you buy or not buy? How does that make a difference? And yes, shopping is a part of it, but it's one chapter Mm -hmm. out of a bunch. And so the idea of power at work is something that I think we don't talk about enough. I think that we tend to look at our own careers and think about like, how can I just sort of like get ahead as as much as possible? And a lot of that comes from a sense of scarcity that is instilled in us that we can't rock the boat. We can't agitate for things. And I share my experience that in my last year of work, I felt like I knew I could walk away Mm -hmm. at any time. And so I felt like I had more power to speak up and to push really hard for more diversity in our hiring and to push hard for some promotions that I thought were long deserved and things like that. But I talk also in the book about ways that folks who don't feel powerful at all in the workplace can speak up, you know, whether it's like agitating to organize and form a labor union or it's, you know, using different things to just push for better conditions for others, that we all have a lot more power than we think because we've sort of been taught that we don't. But and some of it depends on the current job market. You know, sure. if it's, it's a time when there are a ton of layoffs, maybe that's the time to keep your head down a little bit. But if it's a time like right now when 
workplaces are struggling to keep people and are unable to hire as much as they want, you have a ton of power. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I think we should recognize. So I just wanted to give people as many different options as possible to see themselves as powerful because we are, but we all carry that in a little bit different way. Like I don't have a lot of power now to change the workplace because I'm not in one, Yeah, but I have power in other ways. So I, I think it's just sort of like what resonates with you. And, and my hope for the book is that people will read it, get some ideas and then come back and reread it in a few years and think, okay, well, given where I am now, what could I, I change? Mm-hmm. So it's just sort of like incremental improvement, like build some new habits and then keep building on that over time to get to a place where, you know, you can start to see some impact. I also feel really strongly. I, I use the the analogy of like, do you know the little story of the starfish on the beach? Like the man's walking on the beach and comes ac- across this other guy and the guy, it's, it's low tide and there are just starfishes all over the beach. I don't know if it's starfishes or starfish, but sure. we'll go with it. And the other guy is, is like picking him up and hurling him in and the first man says to him, like, why are you doing this? There are so many. You can't possibly get them all back in before the tide comes. It doesn't matter in the scheme of the starfish. And, and the man looks up and says, it matters to this starfish. Yeah. And I think we overlook that, that even if our actions aren't fixing climate change, they aren't fixing inequality in the world, they could still help one person or sure. a few people or a community. And that matters, too. And we don't talk about that enough. So I think that's a really important reminder. And that's what I think about on the days that are extra hard. Yeah. As I think, oh, it matters to this starfish. <laughs> I, I love that analogy. Also, I just actually touched a starfish last week. So I'm like, no, that's very tie relevant. <laughs> I think what's important about the analogy that you just said, though, too, is that as women who do become more successful, grow their platforms, grow their careers, manage teams like mm-hmm. y'all have in the past, is that often we are sometimes unaware of how other people are watching you as the starfish, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so I have to say, you know, I said this in FinCon yesterday that 2019 was my first FinCon Mm -hmm. and I didn't know anyone. I didn't have any plan for business. I just went to see if this was something for me. And Tanya was actually the main stage, one Mm -hmm. of the main stage speakers that year. And I distinctly remember being like, wow, she is She knows her shit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She looks really confident. She had a really good outfit that day too, I remember. (laughs) But I I remember thinking back then, I came out of banking. I worked for JPMorgan Chase. There was not a lot of women that I saw with my own eyeballs. I've seen on social media stuff, but not with my own eyeballs who was confidently talking about topics that not necessarily everyone would would agree with, quote unquote, right? And so that was very inspirational for me. Like you were like, I was a starfish in that point (laughs) of just like, wow, there's this person who who's doing this and really inspired me. And so I'm curious for you, like, and we talked about this at our table a little bit yesterday, like how, how different has it been for you now having, you know, kind of the persona that you have, right? And modeling the things that you want other people to do with their own personal finances. I mean, in some ways it's been great. In other ways, it's been super weird. Yeah. I still, I still get the occasional call from a media outlet like, Yahoo Finance will be like, oh, can you come on live tonight to talk about early retirement? And and they just want to talk about it in a vacuum. And if I try to bring up anything, like even talking about inflation, they're like, oh, no, no, let's stick to IRAs and 401ks. I have a really hard time talking to Yahoo Finance about anything. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's like, I understand because so much of financial media is so soundbitey, but Mm -hmm. I, I really try hard to inject at least some aspect of social mindedness into every conversation that I have that's really important to me that, you know, if I'm going to write a piece for a 
bad guy billionaire, I'm going to try to inject some subversive messaging into that. That's like my values in action. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. if I'm taking Rupert Murdoch's money, writing for, for Market Watch, I'm going to, you know, <laughs> stick to him a little bit. Uh, but like audiences want that. Yeah. Because real people live in the real world and recognize that that is life and mm-hmm. feel icky about a lot of the choices that capitalism forces them into. And so when I say, okay, I take partial credit for Vanguard introducing ESG funds because I got a petition with 100,000 signatures on it after the Parkland shooting in Florida saying we don't want guns in our funds. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure I was one of 100 things that helped make that happen, but I'm still claiming a tiny bit of credit. Absolutely. Of course. Because that is what people want. People want choices. Sure. And I think that is reasonable under our system to have as many choices as possible. So on the audience side, it's great. It's still weird because the financial media side is not there yet, mm-hmm. despite a lot of people wanting it. And so that's the piece that that just feels like, okay, what's happening here? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think you're right. I think there definitely has been some progress. But personally, I've been frustrated a little bit of just a lot of it is like, oh, it's the same things that's been said before, but now it's being said by a woman or a mm. person of color or whatever. And so now it's different or whatever. Well, that's pink bow syndrome. <laughs> yeah. in our- the core of the, if you listen to the core of the messaging, what I really like about what you've talked about is you're providing some alternate points of view that maybe people haven't considered before or that have been kind of pushed under the rug by traditional finance media specifically. So Mm -hmm. I really love that. And the other thing I'm going to say that I really love about you is that I admire is that you seem like you're genuinely enjoying your life, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which, you know, I think in the personal finance world, we talk so much about investing and like all these things you're supposed to do. And I just learned about her yesterday that she's Basically, like a full-time art Artist. student right now. Saw, I saw you actually drawing yesterday, and I was peeking over your shoulder, admittedly. And I was like, wow, this is... I mean, we talk about picking up hobbies to just find joy in life. Bernadette's done a really good job of that. I'll admit, I, I just haven't. And I know I have a very artistic side, but it's really cool to see. Well, you have two yeah. young children, so you have like the yeah, best I'm in a phase. in the world. I'm in a phase. I, I do stick figures, and like, I, I try... I don't know. I feel like my boys are going to have these little like girl things they do with me because I'm like, can you make a bracelet with me or something? Somebody do something girly with me. But yeah, yeah, I'm in a phase. <laughs> I think that the enjoying life part often gets left out of it. And totally. Yeah. That was really the driving focus of my first book, Work Optional, was mm-hmm. we don't even get to money. The book That book has three parts, but we don't even talk about money at all until part two because part one is all about envisioning the life that mm-hmm. will actually feel fulfilling to you. And some of that is thinking about your values some of it is thinking about the legacy you want to lead. Some of it is thinking about like, what are the experiences you want to have had? Some of it is, what are the relationships you want to invest more time in? And it's also like, what do you want your days to look like? Mm-hmm. And I think that that is a piece that people often wait until after re- they retire to think about. Right. But I've seen a lot of people, uh, women included, either get depressed after mm-hmm. retiring early because they feel aimless. And one thing I talk about in the book is that every change psychologically to us feels like a loss. We process change as loss. Absolutely. And even if it's good change that we worked for and yep. planned for for years, it still feels like we've lost something because we have. Mm-hmm. When we step away from work, we lose something massive about ourselves. And so Absolutely. I think the more of that you can think about in advance, and I, I talk about chapter overlap. So whatever you want to do in early retirement or your work optional mm-hmm. phase of life, starting that before you retire is really good. So for me, that was blogging and doing mm-hmm. personal finance content. And that gave me a really lovely transition. I'm not suggesting everyone start a blog or <laughs> do yeah. content because yeah. it is a lot of work a lot. and I don't do that much anymore. But 
those are things that are are just, I believe, really important to think about. I've also seen a lot of couples divorce because yep. they get there and, yeah. they, and they spend more time with each other and they didn't realize it. <laughs> and they didn't realize that they didn't like each other as much as that case, you know, that's probably unavoidable. But sure. in a lot of cases, it's more that like, they didn't really talk about a vision for life and then they get yeah. to the other side and then they actually both want totally different mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. Where it, I feel like a lot of that you probably could have anticipated and worked through. And I, so I don't want that for people. I want them to have those conversations earlier. But yeah, for me, I think like now that we're in the sixth year of early retirement, I think life tends to sort of line up where we have different chapters like every five mm-hmm. years or so. Mm-hmm. So I spent about five years doing personal finance content and traveling a lot and then COVID hit, of course. And now I've felt this real pull to really express my artistic side. Yeah. So that's the chapter of life I'm in. And I really am enjoying it. And I'm working very little. And I feel like an imposter at FinCon for the first time because I'm just not really doing a whole lot in the personal finance space. Yeah. But I love that. I'm happy doing it. And I feel really fortunate and privileged to get to. It's so funny. I was introducing her to another person at FinCon. I was like, oh, she's one of the OGs in finance. And she's like, well, I'm not really a new G right now. Or <laughs> But I think... Part of what you're teaching even other people like me and Stephanie is that if you build a really good foundation of quality content and messaging and stuff, like you can take a pause on it because it will stand the test of time, right? Like work optional and while activism, I do really believe that people will, like you said, read it a couple of years from now and it'll hit them differently. And the circumstances around might be different, but like there'll still be relevance in what you've written, right? And versus a lot of personal finance content of just like, oh, what's hot now? What's the soundbite that people want to hear right now? You've really stuck to principles that are long lasting, Mm -hmm. but that's not easy to do. And it takes some self-reflection, I think, to do that. So last thing I'll ask, just because I'm selfishly, is (laughs) y'all can't see it, but she's wearing a black pink (laughs) shirt. So who is your bias? Do you have a bias in black pink? Yes. <laughs> I, I could say lovely things about all of all of them, but um, I'm fully like team Lisa and Rosé, who are the least Korean. And I know that that is probably controversial, but I just think Lisa is so incredibly talented yeah. at rapping and dancing. I mean, her dancing is amazing. And Rosé, like, how could you not love her singing? It's, it's amazing. I wish that they all had an opportunity to do more solo material, although yeah. I love them together too. I, I hope they don't. Don't they continue apart. to do their thing. I know that their contract so, is up It's a little rough right now, so we'll see. But I also wish they could eat more. I am very worried about they're all very, of them. Yes. <laughs> they're, they're, they're very thin right now. And Tanya and I met at FinCon last year because I did a main stage talk, and she came up to me afterwards. She's like, I loved your choice of music because yeah. I had Lisa as yeah. my music there. And I was just like, oh. You know, you know my dog. <laughs> <laughs> she, she literally did the move too. And I was like, oh, she wasn't playing around. She really did know. She, she's probably a bigger stand than me. She takes so. her dancing very seriously, as I've come to understand. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. That's probably another uh, another piece of content we could probably talk about her uh, dancing Dance like nobody's looking. <laughs> at VinCon. Yeah. And so, you know, like, and like I said, it's one thing when I, I got very excited about meeting you. One, because I've, I've followed your work for a long time. Two, because it's not often I get to meet women in personal finance, three women in personal finance who who have very long lasting, I think, philosophies that I think will stand the test of time. And then when she was like, I'm a K-pop fan too. I was like, oh my oh, God, yeah. K-pop. <laughs> like, what? Sealed the deal. <laughs> Best friends for life. <laughs> so I'm just really glad that you took the time with us today. It's really been such an honor. If people want to find out more about your work and particularly about wallet activism, how can they best find you? First, I'm just so honored to talk to both of you. I think you're both crushing it and doing amazing things and saying important stuff that needs to get out there. And all your compliments, I like want to cry a little bit. (laughs) Um, So 
the hub for all my stuff is ournextlife.com. That's my blog. I'm not writing a ton there these days, but it has links to everything else. I'm mostly on Instagram, now threads and Twitter for socials. And those are at our underscore next life because I did not ever think I would be repeating that handle to people. (laughs) Uh, Let that stupid underscore be in there. Uh, But in any case, that's where to find me. And of course, the books are available in all the book places. Um, Wallet Activism, I've tried to discourage people from buying it from Amazon, but you know, who cares? Wherever you get it, it's good. Of course, you can also get it at the library and they're audiobooks recorded by me. So hopefully stuff is easy to find. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks for spending the time with us and encouraging us to get some fresh air and have a wonderful rest of your time here. Thank you so much. This was such an absolute joy. I feel my heart is very full. Me too. Awesome. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crush Your Money Goals Season 6 The Women's Wealth Effect. Please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this podcast. Your feedback helps us spread the wealth of knowledge to more women like you. If you'd like to work with me to help you create clarity, control, and confidence with your financial independence journey, you can snag my free early retirement planner at womenswealtheffect.com forward slash planner. And if you'd like to work with me to kickstart your financial freedom plan, you can grab my free guide on the 10 money tools you need right now at crushyourmoneygoals.com slash free guide. Stay tuned for the next episode.